This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. British Bulldog's my name, wrestling's my game. In tomorrow's Daily Mirror, the amazing secret of my life. It's red hot, solid, and good. Plus, get your teeth into a free hamburger at Burger King. You feeling hungry? You want a free burger? You got it. Only with the Daily Mirror. Take a big bite tomorrow. It's my music. Break it down. It's the king. Oh, you didn't know? Stand back. I'm a nice man. Mama Cita. Do you smell what the rock is cooking? Eat me. Let's You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 142, and it's a look at the themes of the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. And today I am joined by another Brit... Uh, he is a returning guest here on the show, a host of the True Penny Show. It's James True Penny. Hello again, James. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much for asking, and uh, thank you for inviting me back. I always love coming to this particular show. It's a wonderful thing to do. Oh yeah, always great when you're on here. Um, and this is your third episode for those keeping score at mm-hmm. home. Uh, first couple of times you were on, we did those Joshi episodes, and, and those were a lot of fun. A lot of great themes on those. But um, this time around. We're looking at a markedly different subject than Joshi, I think. Uh, a bit closer to home for you, given the UK yeah. connection, obviously. But um, yeah, this is a, a bit of a left turn from our normal fare here, James. Yeah, I mean, uh, David Boy Smith, obviously, um, one of the wrestlers I watched closely growing up because pretty much watched him from him being the age of 16 for his whole career, one way or another, in various different bits of the world. So... Yeah, he's from Lancashire, which is about two hours east of me, um, Goldbourne in Lancashire. Um, so yeah, obviously Wigan wrestling. And he grew up in a generation of wrestlers that were my guys, Mike Jones and Mark Rocco and Dynamite Kid and Chick Cullen and um, <clears throat> all of these wrestlers that really revolutionized what junior heavyweight wrestling would be for the next 20 or 30 years. And we still see that effect today. So he's, he's one of my guys. And um, yeah, this has been a, a, a real journey, a musical discovery. Because like, obviously, <laughs> when you like, look at when you grow up and you're watching people on YouTube and stuff, like you don't see necessarily the intros and things like that. So the music sometimes gets a bit passed by. But it is obviously an important part of the presentation. So yeah, it's been interesting to see which promoters did what with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there are some uh, interesting choices in Davy Boy's theme history, that's for sure. But but he's had you know a very interesting career. You know, he's one of the most famous British wrestlers of all time. He was in the British Bulldogs with Dynamite Kid, which was a hugely influential tag team in wrestling history. Never a long term main event guy, but he did main event Wembley with Brett at SummerSlam in front of that just massive, massive crowd. You know, biggest match of his life, really, and always featured as like an upper mid-carder for the large bulk of his career in WWF and WCW. Had the tag team with Owen as well, which was a lot of fun, and you know, he was IC champion, tag champion, first European champion too. So yeah, never a tippy-tippy top guy, but still a pretty noteworthy career um, for 
good reasons and and bad reasons too, which we'll get to unfortunately, James. Yes, unfortunately, whenever you talk about the Bulldogs in general, there's a an aura about them that is very very positive, but there's an aura about them that we have to discuss to be fair, because otherwise you don't get the whole story, do you? Mm, yeah, you talked about you know watching Davy Boy through his entire career, pretty much growing up. I I didn't have that obviously because I started watching wrestling in '03, and Davy Boy died in '02, and um, he was what 39 years old, which is just insanely young. I mean, it's so so crazy, awfully young, and that young death along with the other dark stuff of his life and career with the drugs and the steroids and injuries and all that stuff. It's hard for me not to think about that with Davy Boy. They're kind of part and parcel together, really. And I don't like that, but it just, it's just the case for me. You know, it's, it's kind of true for a lot of wrestlers, unfortunately, James. I think, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely of that particular era. Um, and attitudes have changed, you know, to the things that happened to Davy, um, mental health-wise and physical health-wise and um, the issues he had with drugs. I mean, I was looking at who somebody said something stupid this morning about oh you would in the old days you would have never got an MMA fighter or a boxer quitting uh, cancelling a, a fight because of mental health issues and it's like yeah well Pat should have done <laughs> <laughs> and those those things were not part of the deal you worked and you worked and you worked hurt because you know it was even back then especially if you were a, a big numbers guy you were expected to you know we're paying you a lot of money so we expect you to turn up that was kind of the deal and a kind of a thing that was hammered into them in the British scene in the late 70s you know um the dynamite says book you know dynamite kid says in his book um he wrestled he was wrestling on a joint promotions card for Max Crabtree and um someone want, they wanted him to wrestle um a, an African wrestler whose name escapes me but he was known as being a bit stiff and a bit rough no one wanted to wrestle him and dynamite being a tough kid said I'll do it but I want his pay packet. Um, and instead of getting £10, he got paid £15. <laughs> Which in this today's money is no money at all. You know, um, and even back then wasn't a great deal more. He only got like a five or more than he would have done normally. Um, and it's, But it was like, that was what you did. That's how you got on. You paid your dues and that kind of stuck with you. And that doesn't necessarily pertain to a long career. Especially when that particular generation of junior heavyweights, like I said, were doing wondrous and great things, but that was a grind on the body that no one had really kind of encountered before, if you see what I mean. So like uh, Mark Rocco, who passed away a couple of years ago, had to retire at, he retired at like 36 with a heart condition because he trained that hard and his heart had basically become this massive muscle that he could no longer control. And he didn't do steroids. <laughs> you know, so... It's like the the health issues that those guys had. Thankfully, a lot of them are still fit and healthy. Mike Jones is um, had a proper retirement, and Chick Cullen has as well, and a few of the others. But it wasn't it wasn't all sunshine and roses as far as their careers were concerned when it came to health issues. And it's a thing that wrestlers really need to learn from in this day and age as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've read enough old wrestler biographies to you know know about their schedule and. It's crazy. It's a hustle. It's a grind. And, and for a lot of guys, they need to keep going any way they can. And they do that by taking something, taking drugs or alcohol or whatever. So, yeah, it's no surprise that Davey would you know, be part of that. I mean, I, I mentioned the match with Brett at SummerSlam. You know, the famous backstory of that match is in the lead up to it, 
Davies off just smoking crack with Jim Neidhart for weeks. And the night before, Brett has to go over the match with Davy Boy in fine detail over and over and over again. And then the day of the show, they start the match, lock up, and Davy tells Brett that famous quote, you know, Brett, I'm fucked. Because he forgot what to do. And Brett has to lead Davy Boy through the entire match in front of all those people in Wembley Stadium. And they pull it off. The match is great. It's a classic. One of the best of all time. Yada, yada, yada. And it was Brett carrying him the entire way through. So it's equal parts cool and amazing on Brett's part that he was able to do that. And also really sad on Davy's part that the biggest match of his life was hampered by drugs. And a lot of his life was hampered by drugs, as we, we saw, unfortunately, with him, James. Yeah, I mean, even before then, if you go back to 83, when he wrestled Dynamite for the WWF Junior Heavyweight Championship in New Japan, when Tiger Mask left and vacated the title, um, he wrestled the Cobra straight before he wrestled Dynamite and again said to Dynamite, Tommy, I'm fucked. (laughs) (laughs) And Dynamite said, well, you're going to have a good match whether you want it or not. And that's that was that wasn't necessarily drug issues. That was just the rate at which they were going. And you add drugs on top of that, and then you have trouble, which is unfortunate. But there we go. And that's, that's the story we have to take, say, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But um, we'll try to keep it a little bit lighter as we go along here. Not to, <laughs> not to be too doom and gloom the entire episode here. So, We've got um, depressing stuff out of the way, I think. <laughs> oh, right, right. Yeah, we got that out of the way for sure, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, Let's get to these themes here, and we have a bunch of themes on the docket, uh, more than many might think, because everyone knows Rule Britannia as the main song, and we'll get to that, of course, but there are also a bunch of one-off themes and early themes that Davy Boy had that people probably don't know about, and we'll go over those, and we'll lump a couple of them together just to make it easier. You'll see what I mean, but um, we'll start off in the early 80s when a very young Davy Boy Smith wrestles in Stampede Wrestling in Calgary. He started wrestling in 1978 on World of Sport as young David. Um, Literally, he's 15 years old. And then he goes to Stampede and meets up with Brett and Dynamite and all those guys. And the song Davy Boy had in Stampede is by Survivor off the album Eye of the Tiger and the Rocky III soundtrack. This is, of course... Eye of the Tiger. So at this point, uh, 2022, this song has definitely reached cliche status. You know, it's used everywhere. It's in movies and TV shows and commercials, Rock Band 2. You know, it, it's the ultimate motivational hero song. The build-up, the dun 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 the punchy riff, bah, 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 the triumphant chorus and the lyrics. It, everyone knows this song. They've heard it a million times. And in this day and age, you do roll your eyes at it, I think. But you think back to 82, 83... 
you know, right in the zeitgeist of this song, it's number one on the charts, Grammy Award-winning, Rocky Three is a monster film. You know, if you're a heroic wrestler at the time, it's really a no-brainer to use this as your theme, James, you know? I completely agree. I mean, this, <laughs> this listening to this threw me back to a school disco when I was about seven at Blighton Village Hall, where I now live. I've just recently moved back there. Um, and it's like, this came on and the whole room went, oh, because it was the hit song of the time. And it absolutely is. It's the perfect underdog song. You know, there's um, Rocky, the whole Rocky series is kind of like, um, uh, well, you know, when I was at, did my master's degree at university, it was on film. My, my dissertation was on film and sports. And obviously I spent a lot of time looking at Rocky because <laughs> my, uh, my tutor made me. <laughs> and I was like, didn't really want to look at this. I was looking at other stuff anyway. But that that song is is the perfect kind of you're right about the zeitgeist of the time. Like a lot of the films that were around at the time, um, the music matches the mood, and a lot of it's very hopeful and very positive. And it it kind of plays into where um, Hollywood was at the time, but also American politics was at the time. Reagan and you know the positivity about the American way of life and one thing one thing and another. Um, but even I was just been watching Smokey and the Bandit trilogy again, and all of those songs that came from those films are really positive, upbeat. Like even the non-country ones are. You know, there's a couple of ballads on the first film, but then you look at listen to the soundtrack of the second one. It's all boom, 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 chase music all the time, and it's about positivity and stuff in a way that music and film just doesn't gel like that anymore. Um, but then you apply that story to a pro wrestler who's in Stampede who's about 18 years old, who's thin and wiry and not put weight on yet. And it's the perfect song for David Boy Smith in that particular situation. Definitely, definitely. I think the issue with this song for me is that so many wrestlers have used it over the years. Uh, most famously, Hulk Hogan. This was his big theme before Real American. Um, and it fits Hogan to a T, you know, with the All-American good guy, of course. But it was also used by superstar Billy Graham and Conan, Kerry Von Erich, uh, Ricky Steamboat, Dan Severn, Chris Adams. The list goes on and on and on. I mean, talk about overuse, my God. So <laughs> this is one of those cases, I think, where you have a popular song that is so popular, everyone uses it. So you can't really associate this with Davy Boy at first thought. You know, Iron Man, you think of Road Warriors. Tom Sawyer, you think of Kerry. Eye of the Tiger, you know, take your pick. And and for me, it's not Davy Boy. And and part of that is, of course, this being a very early part of his career. It's early 80s Stampede, which is not the most, you know, widely seen part of his career. There is that factor, too. I know that. But still, I don't hear this song and think, ah, yes, Davy Boy Smith. That's not what I think of first there, James. So No, I think that's the thing. And it, it goes back into the territory days, doesn't it, really? It's like, they could get away with it because they weren't going to see Kerry Von Eric and they weren't going to see Billy Superstar. Well, they might see Billy Superstar Billy Graham, but what, they were not going to see all of those other guys. And it's still in a period where if you're in Calgary, you're staying in Calgary. And, you know, it's, it's still a separate place. You can get away with it, I think, in that era. And, and I'm sure there will be wrestlers on the indie circuits now who still use Life of the Tiger <laughs> as, as their entrance music because it's, it's got all of the right speed. It's like, it's 112 beats per minute, which is not particularly quick. And it's got that beat of walking, which is important. Like how the beat of a piece of music actually really kind of reflects the action that goes with it. And it's, and it's about walking. If you watch the video for this, um, which I'm sure you can find on YouTube, 
it's people just walking everywhere. Like they're all meeting up and they're walking somewhere. Aimlessly <laughs> <laughs> walking. It's always walking. So it's ideal for a walk on for a wrestler. And you've got this. Um... <laughs> So you've got all those staccato chords which really grab your attention, that draw you into the song, and that kind of draws you into a character. So it is kind of the perfect wrestling walk-on song in one sense because of that, that way it connects with the person that's trying to move out and move into the arena. Um, and also, of course, uplifting lyrics, like we've said, and it's very positive, which for a baby face is really what you're looking for. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, it's a good way to start off here because it does reinforce the idea that Davy Boy's theme history is a lot more than just Rule Britannia. That that's his most well-known theme, of course. But as we see here, he wasn't always just, "Hey, it's the British guy," you know. <laughs> I, I the Tiger. It's a much more universal good guy theme. Even though, yes, it's by an American band, and Rocky Three is very much an American movie. Um, the song is is a lot more uh, you know, universal, so yeah. someone like a Davy Boy Smith or a Conan or whatever could use it, James. And I think as well is like you have to understand that at the time in Stampede there were more British wrestlers. Like you couldn't just play Royal Britannia as his theme tune in one sense because a because he wasn't the British Bulldog yet. But you had Dynamite Kid, Mighty Jones was touring there all the time. Um, a giant A Stacks used to go over there as Loch Ness Monster. So there was four or five Brits who were working the Stampede circuit. So it was, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have stood out. <laughs> <laughs> like in WWF when he got there, they were the only British people on the roster. So it just like playing Union Jack, Union, playing um, uh, any form of British nationalistic zongage wasn't going to work. <laughs> right, right. So in 1983, uh, Davey goes over to New Japan Pro Wrestling and does a few tours there. And he has three songs in New Japan that we'll talk about here. We'll lump them all together and play them all at once here. So first is a song called Agatha by Parachute. song called Neon, also by Parachute.
And finally, Jungle Waterfall by Return to Forever featuring Chick Corea. So we've got like a jazz fusion trilogy here. Uh, Parachute, they're a Japanese band. Return to Forever, an American one. And uh, some, some different flavors of jazz fusion here. Um, Agatha is the zippier, fast-paced song. Neon is slower, more emotional of a tune. And Jungle Waterfall is just a straight-up funky brew. So even though it's the same genre, they're different you know, takes on it. So... Yeah, I don't have a ton to say about these songs. They're they're fine. Um, I'm just not a big you know jazz fusion guy. I'm I'm more of a, a prog rock kind of weirdo, James. That's <laughs> that's more my cup of tea, I suppose. <laughs> I learned the beginning to Agatha. That's it. That's Ace. I love that. That's great. I just like melody bends in. Um, I also watched this live videos of them playing it. They're still playing together live, and it's Ace because they're like playing this funky song and all stood there reading sheet music. <laughs> <laughs> so like the visual of them playing is nothing like what you're actually listening to. They all look like used car salesmen <laughs> just still playing the guitars and very, very, very serious. Um, I did think Agatha was kind of like, it seemed to be the theme tune to a buddy cop movie that didn't really exist. It <laughs> <laughs> was kind of good. Whereas Neon is more like a Joshi drama not Joshi drama. Um, uh, um, how can I put it? It was very close to a lot of the Joshi themes we talked about before, actually. But I was thinking more of a an anime kind of drama. I'm sorry, I've written down the wrong thing. Here. Yeah, so it was more of an anime drama, <laughs> like you, like the quiet scene in a dirty pair film, where uh, Kay and Yuri are discussing their feelings about a certain character. It felt like that. It, it doesn't feel like a, a, an introduction to somebody at all. <laughs> it feels like somewhere else. Um, I, I did like Jungle Waterfall though. That's great. Chick Corea, great guitarist. Loads of wah wah, lot of funky wah wah. If I might be auto wah actually, but um, so lots of seventy porn, seventies porn sounds, unfortunately. <laughs> but with, with an auto wah, it's kind of like a pedal that just moves, that just stays on. So it's always the same rhythm all the time. Like with a regular wah, you can control it with an auto war it's just like the band has to start at the right point so it can just go constantly all the time and is a nice even rate of a, an effect so it's kind of cool when you get it right and obviously in a studio it's a lot easier to get right than playing live um but yeah it's it's an interesting kind of piece of music but none of them really kind of ring true as wrestling themes outside of japan if i'm saying i guess jungle waterfall you could see him coming out to that in America or in Europe, um, maybe Agatha, but probably not, but definitely not Neon. 
Yeah, my take with this is that with Eye of the Tiger, there was at least that through line and reasoning why he had that song. You don't have that here with these ones. They're kind of just random picks. Um, but again, he's still in his younger days. It's pre-Bulldogs, and he's just coming over for a couple of tours here and there. He's not really a regular guy on the roster. So they're probably just like, yeah, give him whatever songs we have. That's probably <laughs> it. And and yeah, I mean, looking back, yeah, this style of music was pretty prevalent at the time in Japanese wrestling. You know, look at themes for Fujinami or the Funks or yeah. Stan Hansen. You know, they're they're pulling from that rock jazz fusion pool really i I remember doing the bret hart episode a few years ago his new japan theme was a song called eris by tony williams and that is just straight up jazz fusion right there Mm. it's only when we get to the 90s that we get the four pillars and you know the three musketeers and we get these big epic intense you know guitar big keyboard songs and all that but 80s this is still the predominant sound james that's for sure and as well it kind of like you think about the people who were in Japan at the time who did have other theme songs. It's part of the reason why they stood out. I mean, numbers I'm thinking, like you mentioned earlier, about Road Warriors and, and Iron Man. You know, that's going to stand out when everyone else is coming out to this jazz rock punk fusion. And then you've got them coming out to Sabbath. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bit like um, just this sh- shock of this different kind of music, and it helps people stand out. These songs do not help you stand out. But as you said, Davey wasn't really standing out that much at the time. You know, they were going over as Brett, Davey, and um, Dynamite. And Dynamite was the leader of the gang, if you see what I mean. And they were all heels. Um, Chris Adams would occasionally join them as well. Um, And they were all heels going up against Tiger Mask. And it's kind of just, they weren't expected. He wasn't expected to be top of the tree just yet he's a young boy he still is a young boy and even though he's like six or seven years into his career he's still not quite considered the draw yet to be able to stand out so you kind of need a generic theme song for a generic wrestler if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah for sure yeah yeah um you know in the lead up to this episode here i went online and um i tried to see if there were any uh, davy boy matches on new japan world and there are a couple of them on there uh, one against the Cobra and a couple against Dynamite. And uh, it's amazing, you know, it's only a couple of years removed from World of Sport Young David, but he's already gained a fair amount of muscle mass in those short few years. So um, he's not as big as he was in the 90s, mind you, but still, World of Sport, he's like a stick bug. And now it's a few years later, and he's bulked up. And he'll keep bulking up uh, considerably <laughs> over the next couple of years, uh, James. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, I think the probably the best like the way you can track it there was a match he had with dave finley the third the current david finley's dad <laughs> uh world of sport and he had just come back from canada for i guess he was visiting family and he got a he got a match for whilst they come back because a lot of the guys did that at the time they'd maybe only come back for two or three days or a week but they'd wrestle matches for um, joint promotions and he's wrestling David Finlay. And um, you can tell how much he's bulked up because he's just, he's not the size he would become, but all the, everything's in the right place for that to happen. And he's wrestling at heavy middleweight, which was before he'd been a lightweight, a very thin lightweight. <laughs> <laughs> so you can tell that he's, he's really, and you can also tell he's got the body shape to put more weight on, whereas Dynamite really didn't necessarily, you know, 
because the, the the famous chapter in McFoley's book where he's like a person who's 220 pounds who shouldn't have really been more than 180. Whereas Davy Boy was what had the potential to be a, a bit of a giant of a man. So Davy and Dynamite are in New Japan, and then in '84, the Bulldogs jump to All Japan and start touring there. They get a new theme song in All Japan. Uh, this is by Tom Scott off the album Street Beat, and it's called Car Wars. <laughs> Car wars, nothing but car wars. Give me those car wars. Don't let them end. Uh, first of all, the song is called Car Wars. There are no car sounds in this song. That's false advertising, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, seriously though, the feeling I get with this one is a busy road with lots of traffic. Lots of hustle and bustle, cars moving everywhere. So, yeah, in that sense, it's an appropriate name. And, you know, he had the jazz fusion stuff in New Japan with Davey Boy, and now he's in All Japan with Dynamite, and he still has jazz fusion there. So there you go. <laughs> but um, but I will say this. I did find this song to be the catchiest of all of his jazz fusion themes. Uh, I did find myself humming along to it as it uh, played. So, uh, you know what? Hey, it's a, a fine song. It gets a thumbs up from me there, James. Yes, I think so as well. It did very much of its era, but there's something I was listening to and I was going, I have heard something like this before, and there's lots of drones in it, because it's like... It's like that, and I was like, hang on, Metal by Pink Floyd. That's Abdul the Butcher's theme in all Japan. Oh, that's got drones in it too. And I went yeah, one of these days, right, yeah. Yeah, it was like, ooh, that that that's maybe Baba had a thing for drones, but that's kind of like, you know, it's very kind of similar. And of course, if you have a piece of music, one popular wrestler and can mimic it or take a theme from it, it kind of drifts you along into the next wrestler. And Dynamite and uh, Abdullah were good friends as well. So that may have been one of the reasons why. It would just be, could have been coincidental entirely, but it does seem to be like, it, I wrote down in my notes, it says it seems like what Baba's idea of a theme should be. <laughs> <laughs> like you've got an idea of theme is and that's how it should be yeah again we're a ways away from the days of you know grand sword and holy war and uh take the dream and hard crash and all those songs so yeah but um what's interesting about this song to me is the way the timeline went because they joined all japan in 84 and went to the wwf soon afterwards and they started using Rule Britannia in WWF, which we'll get to in a second. And then the Bulldogs left the WWF in 88 and went back to All Japan for a little bit. But 
they kept using Car Wars in All Japan. They didn't change it to Rule Britannia. And by that point, they are firmly the British Bulldogs, they are the Union Jack team, all that stuff. But they kept theme song loyalty for Car Wars <laughs> in All Japan. That That's quite something, James. <laughs> did the British Bruisers use it, or did they use something different? I... I know this was always Dynamite's theme in all Japan, uh, even after Davey Boy left to go back to the WWF in 1990. Um, so I, I assume the Bruisers had it too, but I don't know for sure. That'd be interesting to see because it is like um, the Bruisers were um, Johnny Smith and Dynamite Kid, and they kind of followed on from what the Bulldogs were doing, but were a bit more heelish in their intent. Um, it, but except everybody loved Dynamite, so. <laughs> so they're trying to be heels when everyone's cheering for them so it didn't really work out depending on who they were wrestling if anyone were, if they were going up against anyone who was slightly a heel then they'd just get cheered and that, that would be that so but yeah um but yeah no I, th- I think this is kind of like a classic old japan theme it kind of makes me feel like oh um three ring three turnbuckle covers instead of a ring pad if you see what i mean and i start imagining all japan stuff if you listen to this piece of music in my head Mm-hmm, right, right. Um, and Tom Scott, I looked him up. He is one of those session guys who's been with literally everyone. Uh, I know he was in the Blues Brothers band, but he's worked with Joan Baez, Steely Dan, Carpenters, Carol King, uh, Juice Newton, uh, Barbara Streisand, Barry Manilow, Rod Stewart, George Harrison, just a billion people. But um, for us wrestling fans, he's Mr. Car Wars. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. It's like, you know, a lot of guys like that, I mean, you get it more prevalently now, but a lot of guys like that go unnoticed because they toil away making music for, you know, um, just for TV shows and for just nondescript pieces of music, or they actually make music for themselves that they've released that gets picked up for things like this. Um, but there, there are, I was like, I watch a, a lot of the old Motor Trend channel up until recently, and they won't let British people watch it anymore. But um, they used, obviously, they had access to the Discovery um, music archive. Like, the Discovery channel has its own music archive. So if you're watching any of those documentaries, there's, like, an archive of music that they paid people to do to <laughs> so they can pick the, the theme songs that you want. But before that, you can, like, watch old episodes of Wheeler Dealers, and they're just using generic music that's on cheap movies. So I was like, I watched um, Chris Rock's Head of State has the same music as episodes of Wheel of Dealers, which is a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> but there is wrestling in Head of State because they filmed it at a TNA show. So yes, they did, yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, um, uh, uh, it'd be Brian James, wouldn't it? He was in it, and um, yep. can't remember who else. Was Ron that? Killings, I believe. Yeah, yeah, Ron Killings. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, oh, yeah. it was a cool film as well. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, also in 84, the British Bulldogs go to the WWF. Uh, they are brought in as rivals to the Hart Foundation. And, of course, they eventually win the tag team titles from the Dream Team at WrestleMania 2 with Ozzy Osbourne in their corner. And the WWF is where we get the Bulldogs' new theme and Davy Boy's new theme. This was originally written as a poem in 1740 by James Thompson and put to music by Thomas Arne. And this version is done by Leonard Bernstein. Sorry, Leonard, Leonard Bernstein, Bernstein. <laughs> and the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. Uh, this is Rule Britannia. Rule 
this is the main attraction. It's why we're all here. Uh, you know, Davy's best known theme had it for many, many years in various companies. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why they gave this song to the British Bulldogs in the first place. You know, it's one of the most famous British patriotic songs of all time. And when you have a team whose primary characteristic is, we're from England, they're going to go for the obvious choice here. Um, I mean, the, the stereotypical music for foreign wrestlers is a time out of tradition in wrestling, James, and this is no different. No, this is this is no more different than the Orient Express coming out to a piece of music using pentatonic scales. It's yeah. Oh, this song. Um, I have a hard time with patriotic songs being British because there's there's a history we have as a country which isn't pleasant, and this song embodies it. <laughs> <laughs> top to bottom, like the original. Like the original version of the song was the original version of the poem was written in like the 1700s and it was kind of like rule Britannia, Britannia rules the waves in the sense of to exhort us to go rule the waves, which we did. And then what did we do with that power? Well, slavery. Anyway, um, so, so it's like it's it's the it's a piece of music that when I was a kid and was much more simplistic in the way I dealt with my nationality. And is something I've had to come to terms with since we left the European Union, and a lot of people will have done as well. Um, it's it's a got it's loaded with lots of politics, as most of these songs are. I mean, of all the patriotic songs, I kind of like Jerusalem, and um, but because it, it's much less, it's much more neutral. But it's there's there's um, there's connotations about Christianity in there as well, which is also another minefield we'll not get into today. But um, Royal Britannia is all about British dominance, and it, the meaning of the song changed from trying to be dominant to actually the dominant force in European politics and then world politics for however long and its exploitation of the empire and horrible things. So... There's a lot of connotation in this, but it's also joyous as well. I don't want to be completely negative about it. It's played at the last night of the proms. It's the final song of the celebration of British classical music every year. You know, the BBC cover it every September at the Royal Albert Hall. The BBC Philharmonic play out Royal Britannia as the final song of the final night of the proms. And it's a three-week-long celebration of classical music that enlightens British classical music. Um, and that's great. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing and a tradition that I wouldn't want us to lose as a country. But there's also connotations going on with this song. But in the basic principle of how to advertise a to a greater world in the World Wrestling Federation, and you're trying to nationalize this product and then internationalize this product, of course you go with that. It's the obvious thing to do. Mm-hmm. Well, you're talking to an American here, so uh, if anyone knows a thing or two about patriotic songs and dicey history, it's us, my friend, okay? Come on now. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I think of this as like the equivalent of Lex Luger using Stars and Stripes Forever. You know, the super patriotic American guy using super patriotic American music. This is the British version of that. And, you know, the Bulldogs, they had the Union Jack flag. They had the Union Jack gear and all that. They're called the British Bulldogs. It's in their name, for God's sake. So the song does complement that, I think. And and also, it's a very upbeat-sounding song in general, too. It has that pep to it. It it makes for a good theme, especially for, like, 
an energetic, athletic-faced team like the Bulldogs. Um, and it works better than, say, God Save the Queen, the anthem, which is slower and more formal. So, um, yeah, of those two options, I suppose, um, Rule Britannia is the better choice, James. The only wrestler to use God Save the Queen as any form of theme song um, would be Rockstar Spud in Impact Wrestling when he had his feud with EC3. And at Wembley, I think it was Marembley, it was the big show they did in London that year when they had a street fight. He started singing an a cappella version of God Save the Queen and the entire crowd joined <laughs> Um And then he got his head kicked in. Ah! <laughs> but it was, it was a cool televisual moment and kind of the exact thing that Spud is famous for that he does so well. Yeah, when I think of God Save the Queen in wrestling, I think of the match between Pac and Masato Yoshino from Dragon Gate. Um, it was the match for the Dreamgate title where Pac won it. And uh, in Dragon Gate, before every you know big title match, they played the Japanese national anthem. And for Pac, they also played God Save the Queen. So they play the Japanese national anthem, and they get through that fine. And then they start playing God Save the Queen, and Pac immediately attacks Yoshino during it. Like, because, <laughs> you know, he's a bastard, and he doesn't respect his own national anthem. Like, it, it's wonderful. So, yeah. Um, but getting back to Rule of Britannia here, uh, like I said, this was Davey's theme, first with the Bulldogs, and then as a singles guy in, like, WWF and WCW, um, as a face and a heel. You know, later on, we'll talk about his last theme that he had in 99-2000 when he was a bad guy, but I'm talking about the heel run of, like, 95-97 to 97 when he was with, you know, Camp Cornette and Owen and the Hart Foundation. Like, that run, he still had Rule Britannia as his theme, like, as is, which I guess changes the song from, hey, I'm British and proud of it, let's go, to, yeah, I'm British, you stupid yanks, you know, <laughs> especially during the whole Hart Foundation run where it was, like, you know, U.S. versus Canada and U.K., so... Um, yeah, it does change the context depending on his you know alignment there, uh, James. I th yeah, I think there's there's also th that period of WWF history wasn't known for its cultural sensitivity. No, um, no, no, no. <laughs> but I think I think that's the thing is like there is an element. I mean, there is like the, this is the thing with the Union Jack in general as well is like there's connotations to that particular flag that. A lot of people are uncomfortable with a lot of people are a lot happier to fly the st george's cross the english flag or st andrew's cross the scottish flag or the welsh flag or even the the northern irish flag because of the connotations of the union jack um and it, it's it that's that's the thing is you can there's a fine line between patriotic and nationalistic songs and that's where the heel thing comes in you can actually portray this as a nationalist song mm -hmm, right right and um I did want to point this out, too. Uh, when the Bulldog came back to WWF in 99, he did so as a babyface for the first couple of weeks before the heel turn. And they actually gave him, like, a rap rock remix of Rule Britannia. Yes, it is real, and I'll play it for you guys right now.
So yeah, this was very much a short-lived song, but um, but the intent, I think, was, okay, we need to bring the British Bulldog into the new millennium, into the Attitude Era. We need to make him hip and cool and edgy. How do we do that? Aha! Rap rock. We'll do that. And that whole mindset didn't really pan out all that well there, James. Um, was, but, was uh, it short because it was awful, Andrew. Yeah, that may have played a part, I think. Perhaps, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> it's like it's like someone tried to explain hip-hop to somebody's dad by reading them an excerpt from a book and then giving them a laptop and telling them to remix this song. And it, it's just awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just terrible. There's no way, like, I can't sugarcoat it. There's no, there's, no, just, just no. Yeah. Well, at least there were no lyrics. True. You know, I'm the British Bulldog. I'm a superstar. I'm going to beat you up because I'm bizarre. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't have that, thankfully. So, <laughs> In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from Arena Club. Dot com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOWnet. Arenaclub.com slash VOWnet for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. So uh, the Bulldogs, known for having Rule Britannia, of course, but um, there is one instance where they had a different song in WWF. Uh, it was on a 1986 MSG show 
the Bulldogs came out to this song. It's by Loverboy. Yes, that Loverboy. Off the album Lovin' Every Minute of It. This is the title track, Lovin' Every Minute of It. So Loverboy, of course, best known for songs like Working for the Weekend and uh, Turn Me Loose, but um, I like this one the most of their songs. I really dig it a lot. Um, and, you know, it just it tickles me pink that this lighthearted, fun, wink and a smile, sexual innuendo kind of song was used by the British Bulldogs, of all people, who, A, yes, they're good guys, but still, they're a more serious, straightforward tag team. Uh, the gimmick is not sexy heartthrobs or whatever. And B, I mean, it's Dynamite Kid, who is one of the surliest, <laughs> intense, just fucked up dudes in wrestling history. With with this theme song, it, it's such a weird, albeit funny combination. I think, James. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's got it's got the elements. You've got some you've got some uh, big thick chords in it and some. Some pentatonic scales, which is always good in a in a in a wrestling song, and a lot of uh, all the elements are there to make it a good wrestling theme song. I listened to it, and honestly, I thought it was kind of like I I I, I thought it was like the precursor to everything that happened in the early '90s that brought us grunge. Um, because it, it just sounds like Winger. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and other such awful bands that, that just like went away in 1993 with three chords from Kurt Cobain. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 but you're right. It's just like, it's supposed to be a fun little throwaway song. And it's like the Bulldogs are anything but a fun little throwaway team, are they? <laughs> They're the kind of the opposite of that. And I suppose, but at that point, they were trying to be repackaged as family entertainers. That's the whole WWF trip, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's weird how, on the one hand, you've got touch that dial, turn me on, start me like a motor, make me run, loving every minute of it. And on the other hand, you've got Dynamite Kid pointing a gun at his pregnant wife in front of their kids. Just just a, just a <sighs> little bit of dissonance there, I think. Um, although the line, I'm tuning in, I'm out of control, that, that does work pretty well for Dynamite, I'd say there, James. There, there is that at least, so. yeah. It just it just doesn't fit though, does it? It's just, no, no. <laughs> it's quite a round hole, and it is like at least with like the, there is a strong connection with the Brit, the Bulldogs, as far as Royal Britannia is concerned. Is like there's there's no mistaking that. There's the British guys; they have a very British theme tune. But this is this is you no. Know, it just doesn't it doesn't fit the fit the 
brief of what the people are trying to do as far as like presenting themselves is con- is concerned you know because it, it is i mean they did do a lot of the ha-ha stuff with matilda and one thing or another in that particular time period which i though they didn't particularly like because they wanted to be serious wrestlers because they came from wigan and they were from the you know they were snake pit they were the uh, dungeon in calgary and they were the new japan dojo like the three toughest places on earth toxic masculinity bottled um <laughs> so yeah but so this one just just kind of is a bit weird <laughs> yeah 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 um also it's funny you know they're the british bulldogs Loverboy is a Canadian band. Like, they didn't even pick a band from the UK. You know, The Clash or Duran Duran or Kaja Gugu. You know, any band from England or whatever. But they missed the mark entirely, I guess. It's weird. What made you think of Kaja Gugu? Oh, I was just picking a random UK band from the 80s. You know, <laughs> I could have picked Haircut 100. I could have picked Spandau Ballet. Uh, you, you know, any one of those bands or whatever. So I, I back your knowledge of uh, British 80s pop rock. Yeah, I like the music. What can I say? So, <laughs> um, so the other big American promotion that Davy Boy was in during the '90s, besides WWF, was WCW. And uh, Davy Boy had two stints in WCW. Uh, the first was in '93, after Davy got released from the WWF because he was getting HGH shipped to him from England. Which, uh, you know, during the whole Dr. Zahorian steroid kerfuffle, maybe not the best idea in the world, James. <laughs> no, 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 not really. No, just, just no. Shipping in drugs of time is never really good. <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, it is not. Um, and the other run was in 98 after the Montreal Screwjob. Uh, Davey quit the WWF in solidarity with Brett and went to WCW and, um, like I said, he had Rule Britannia and WCW for the most part, but he also had some one-off themes too, and we'll play these all together here. First is Road Booster by Jean-Paul Niquin Merkel and Jean-Pierre Taeb. <laughs> Hellraisers by David B. Fields.
those were both from March 93, and this one's from January 98 for one match. It's called Monster by Ross Hardy and Brian White. So we had the Jazz Fusion Trilogy earlier in New Japan, and now we have the WCW Hard Rock Library Song Trilogy. And, you know, we've played these kind of songs a million times before. They're a staple of WCW, and yeah, they've got intensity and energy and all that, but it's funny, they kind of mirror the Jazz Fusion songs from before in that they don't really stand out as Davy Boy Smith themes. They're fine, but they're also very generic and run-of-the-mill songs, and they don't say Davy Boy Smith, James. You know? No, it's it's the kind of things that Brian Pillman turned down. Really, mm. <laughs> it's it's. I mean, you've got they are just like kind of standard um, with some nice harmony parts in. There's, um, I think the Hellraisers one has some a nice bit of organ um, and kind of this odd modulation because it changes key halfway through the verse and then a bit odd and then comes back down again so that kind of stood out for me but from like from a technical point of view they're kind of cool but i do notice one thing i did notice between them is the ones from 93 are very much of hair metal kind of um van halen van halen not really hair metal but they were kind of like the poison um kind of style of guitar rock but very basic um with some odd twists in it, like that modulation and stuff. And then we listen to the one from uh, 98, the Ross Hardy and Brian White one. Um, that 1998 one sounds a lot more kind of on the Chili Peppers Rage Against the Machine kind of end of rock music. In fact, um, I was listening to the Van Halen album for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, and I was on the way here, and I drove up this, I'm working for my studio today, and I was listening to that, and I'm going, this is kind of mid '90s, and there's bits of that in this. Like the, there's one track on that album where Sammy Hagar is just talking over the music; he's not singing. Lost um, in a Pleasure Dome, I think it's called. And the the chord sequence is very similar. And there's the the bass line is very Chili Peppers and kind of very Rage Against the Machine in it as well. It's much more new metal. You can see the way, like the way the charts has and and our, uh, rock music changed, and it suddenly started to affect even the WCW Rock Music Library. Yeah, you can definitely tell that uh, Monster is the heaviest of the bunch, um, especially with those drums. But um, what's strange to me about this is that, you know, with the jazz fusion stuff in New Japan, he was just Davy Boy Smith, this young guy from England. But in this case, it's 93 and 98. And at that point, you know, he is well and firmly established as the British Bulldog. Like, he's the guy dressed in Union Jack, with Rule Britannia as his theme. He's that guy, and he'll still be that guy in WCW, 
And yet, for some reason, they gave him these generic rock songs. Even though, yes, they were only used for like a week or whatever each. It's like, it's hard to understand why they didn't have Rule Britannia from the jump. And and this happened twice. This happened twice. It's crazy. <laughs> like, you're WCW. You know Davey Boy's coming into the company. Just get Rule Britannia. It's not that hard. Like, is WCW that incompetent that they screwed up twice like that? The answer is yes. Yes, they are, James. <laughs> it's also not like you have to pay any rights for Rule Britannia. It's open source music. The copyright had been passed long before. It's a traditional folk song. Go find the Atlanta Philharmonic and stick a microphone in front of them. <laughs> you're done. That, uh, that's simple. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's that simple. That's all, it, all, all they really need to do. I'm pretty sure they could have found a generic version of it using like MIDI violins or what have you. Uh, but yes, interestingly, the only time I saw Davy Boy Smith Smith, sorry, wrestle live was between his '93 WCW run and him going back to the WWF. And Wasn't it um, All Star Wrestling? Was that the name of the promotion? It was Joint Wrestling. Um, actually, it was the last ever tour of Joint Wrestling, um, Max Crabtree's promotion. Um, and essentially, what happened was they did a tour of all of the um, big, uh, com- like. There are buildings in the UK that are usually owned by local authorities. Okay, so like local councils own them, which is great if you're running an event because it's guaranteed money. They will pay you if only two people turn up. They might not book you, but they will always pay you. (laughs) Okay, and Joint did a tour of those kind of halls and they played Scunthorpe Baths, which is the the big hall around us. It's now a very different building. It's like 10 million pounds spent on it. It's a massive place, but back then it was the baths, the swimming pool, and they used to cover over the swimming pool with boards in the winter so you could have bands on. <laughs> I've played Scunthorpe Baths many a time, and it was horrible back in the day because they only put boards over the swimming pool, and even when they modernized it, they didn't fill in the swimming pool, so sound just disappeared into the ether. You could be playing with a massive PA <laughs> system and like three people at the front going, what are you doing? How are you? Turn it up. So, <laughs> so this was at that particular era of Scunthorpe Baths. Um, and it was funnily enough, he took when he was a young wrestler, he was Big Daddy's tag team partner because he was tiny, thus making like the the classic daddy match is best of three falls. Daddy starts on the first fall, wins the first fall, tags in junior partner, whoever it was. Dynamite did it as well, as did William Regal too, and most British wrestlers at one point or another. Um, tag in junior partner who gets his head kicked in. Then you make the daddy wins the final fall. And then essentially, Davy Boy did that match with another young wrestler whose name I can't remember. But um, that's, that's the way they were. Two massive heels. Davy Boy, not too big because Davy Boy had to do the running power slam. Otherwise, it won't be Davy Boy Smith, would it? Um, and that's, that's how he finished up his UK in ring career, really. You know, he'd gone literally from three years from filling Wembley Stadium to doing some foot baths. And he kind of did it as a favor to the Crabtrees, from what I understood, you know, for getting him started. Um, but me and my mum and dad went to see it because it was like, you're never going to see him again, possibly. <laughs> so no. why not? Why no? And that was it. And it was a sellout crowd at Scunthorpe Baths. And um, I, funnily enough, they were selling um, off old programs from the 80s. And I happened to pick one up and it had um, pictures of Davy Boy from Canada and he was tagging with uh, Marty Jones. It was a bit weird, but there you go. One of those things. Um, what you find out at local wrestling shows. 
Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Davy Boy and WCW, uh, not a ton to dig into there really. Um, especially the 98 run where he was just a mid carter pretty much with Nightheart for the whole way through. Um, and that run ended in life-changing disaster for Davy Boy because, uh, for those that don't know, at Fall Brawl 98, they put this trap door in the ring so that in the main event, Ultimate Warrior could rise up through the trap door in the War Games match. Well, earlier in the show, Davy Boy wrestled a match and he landed awkwardly on the trap door on his back and it screwed his back up really badly. And it also led to him getting addicted to painkillers as well. So... Yeah, I mean, the guy was already not in, like, the best of, of conditions, but that injury and that addiction just sent him, you know, further down the deep end, and it affected him the rest of his career, really. So, uh, yeah, not the not the best of endings there for Davey Boy and WCW, that's for sure, James. I mean, we, we also had the, the Shockmaster incident in the first round. That's true. We cannot forget about that, the uh, the lighter side of things. Yes, yes. <laughs> we, we, shouldn't pass, we shouldn't pass over just because... Surely any opportunity to talk about the Shockmaster is, is worth three minutes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we mentioned, you know, the low lows of WCW there. Um, there were highs too. Uh, not wrestling Vader for the world title on pay-per-view. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm talking about the moment on Ric Flair's talk show when the Shockmaster debuts. He comes through the wall. He trips. Helmet comes off. And you hear Davy Boy, who's in that segment, you hear him say, he fell flat on his arse. He fell flat on his fucking arse. That's a great moment right there. That that's a real true highlight from WCW. That's for sure, James. <laughs> there is there is um, the match with William Regal, Stephen Regal, as he was then for the World Television Title, which is a showcase of how two British wrestlers would wrestle if they were given chance. Um, and it was like, but in front of a very confused crowd. <laughs> <laughs> but they got them going in the end. But they just did. British style chain wrestling for 15 minutes and everyone was going crazy for it by the end. But at the beginning, they were like, what's this? <laughs> this isn't body slam clothesline. What's going on here? <laughs> no, no, but that was, and that, and that very much was WCW's problem at the time was everything was body slam clothesline. I think Larry Zabisco, I remember listening to him on Art of Wrestling and he was saying like, when he started, started doing commentary in WCW, they would have an over under on the number of clotheslines they would see on a WCW Power Hour, like the the production crew, and um, if Larry decided to start wrestling again just to show people you could have a match without a clothesline. Again. <laughs> 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 and and, and um, yeah, they did like did that's they kind of like Larry was trying to lead by example to get them from just like body slam clothesline, body slam clothesline all the time, and that was kind of a generic problem WCW had for a while. Um, but yeah, they you know. Davey was a great draw, but he was also a fantastic mat wrestler. And the, my regret of that, the WWE era of his stuff, and certainly WCW era, less, less so in WCW, was the fact you didn't really get to see that because he was kind of lumbered with the Warlord and other lumpy wrestlers that were fine, not horrible, but, you know, they weren't really, they weren't, they couldn't really showcase his talents as far as like creating a solid professional wrestling match. And it was only like later when he's tagging with Owen and, and things like that, where he really gets to show off his chops as a straight up pro wrestler. You know, I think the, um, I did a show, I occasionally do a podcast called the random wrestling review and they asked me to do one of the attitude era shows and he's wrestling Ken Shamrock and it's a brilliant piece of work and it gets underrated because it's, Oh, it's David Boy and Ken Shamrock, but actually no, it worked really well. And, you know, Ken was still at that point where he wasn't 
a pro wrestler yet. He was, he'd always been a pro wrestler, but he wasn't back in the groove of being a working pro wrestler instead of a shooting pro wrestler. And he, and it was a brilliant piece of work. And it was a lot of it was down to David Boy. And, um, you didn't get enough of that for me. Um, but we're still a great wrestler and the talent was always there, but it's how you apply it and what makes money. And the point of being a pro wrestler is to make a living. So I have no issues with it, what he did because I'm trying to make a living. But sometimes you just go, oh, if only. Yeah, you know, put him with Brett, you're good to go. Uh, Owen as well. I mean, the match with Owen from Germany uh, for the European title, that's one of the best matches in Raw history. And it's probably the last great singles match of Davey's career, too. So, yeah, check that one out for sure. It's amazing. But um, but anyway, uh, the final theme of the episode here is when the British Bulldog came back to the WWF in fall of 99. He had the Rule of Britannia remix that we played earlier for a couple of weeks. But then he turned heel and got this new theme song. It's by Jim Johnston off of WWE Uncaged 4. It's simply called... Bulldog. Quote this song, Ruff, Ruff, Ruff. Um, yeah, this is not your older brother's British Bulldog. Uh, no more Rule Britannia, no more Union Jack pants. Now he's got jeans and a bad attitude and a new theme song. I mean, this is classic late 90s Jim Johnston crunchy guitar riffs in here. It's got those, you know, creaky notes at the beginning too, the spooky doo, doo, and the keyboards during the hook. The Barking Dogs, it's all meant to convey this new, surly, unhinged, mean character that the Bulldog is now. And I think this portrays that much better than Rule Britannia does, James. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, is they're trying to repackage him as this fire-breathing monster of a wrestler. It doesn't really fit. But it's difficult, I mean, I think Jim Ross said at the time, like, how many times can you repackage David Boy Smith? You know he's he's good at what he does, and he should do what he does, and figure out a way of selling it. And this is a good example of that. And there's, there's nothing wrong with the piece of music. It's kind of oppressive in in tone, which is kind of what you want in a monster. And I was listening to him like, is the keyboard part trying to kind of like replicate a bulldog panting, like a half of it, which is never good because that sounds like he's exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's. It's it's classic Jimmy Johnston, very much so. It's very much of the genre. If you listen to the Vader theme, the Vader theme's a bit more complicated. But even the the Breaking Glass theme is very similar to that in its simplicity. He's very much trying to create this character through the music. Um, and but I mean, it wasn't. It was the 
possibly the most financially viable run Davey had in a short period because he got rushed to the main event quickly as someone who came in quickly. He was always a big draw in Europe, so he's always well worth having around as far as like popping houses on European tours was concerned. So it's kind of, it's very much kind of like highlighting the issues he has rather than enhancing what he's got, if that makes sense. Um, because if he was a big enough name, you wouldn't have to change a thing. Like if Hulk Hogan came back at the same period, and of course he did a couple of years later, um, you wouldn't take away um, uh, Real American, would you? You because it's Hulk Hogan. You know, well, they like, kind of did with Voodoo Child, but um, I, I get the point you're making. Yeah, yeah that was Hollywood Hogan, not Hulk Hogan. Though, oh, they, semantics, semantics. <laughs> I mean, they did repackage Hogan, but that was that was kind of a different thing. But it there's things going on with this song which kind of like reflect the underlying issues Davey had at this point with his career. This was obviously going to be his last run. And it was depending on how long it was going to last. Unfortunately, it didn't last as long as a lot of us would have hoped. But there we are. Um, and yeah, it's you know it's not a particularly a creative period of time for his wrestling either. It doesn't have killer matches that he was having before. But the actual piece of music, there's nothing wrong with the piece of music. It's very good, and it's it's very much one of Johnson's classics. And in as far as simplicity is concerned, it's like a one, four, five chord sequence. Um, <laughs> It's it's not it's not particularly um, like deep, and there's no melody to it. It's all about the keyboards and the atmosphere, which is what Johnson's really really good at. And yeah, it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this whole thing reminds me so much of when the Big Boss Man returned in late '98, and he was still a Big Boss Man, but he was no longer wearing you know the blue outfit, hard times. If you ever take a trip. No, now he's got the vest, the gloves, new theme song. It was all to say, yes, this is the big boss man, but it's a new era of the boss man, where he's just this plain old evil bastard. And with the bulldog, it's like, yeah, it's the British bulldog, but he's no longer just the Union Jack guy. Now he's like some British street brawler in jeans, you know. And the new theme reflects that. It's called Bulldog, not British Bulldog. There's no... UK flavoring to this song at all. And I think in this case, it's a good thing because with the WCW themes, there wasn't those British stylings in there, but it didn't work because he was still Union Jack British Bulldog. But in this case, if you don't have them in there, it's okay because the intent of the song is to say that this is, you know, a new take on the Bulldog character, James. Yeah, I think so. I think the, the, what they're trying to convey works. Um, and then, but the, that is the underlying issue of like you look at someone like Jericho, who's reinvented himself what, like fifteen times in the last twenty years. Davy Boy Chris couldn't do that, and that's the issue that perhaps he was having at this point in his career. You know, like we said, he, he's thirty-seven, which is nothing for a main event now, is it? You know, it really. I mean, Harley Race was still like going pretty well at forty, forty years old. You know, Flair was still. He still had seven or eight years as a viable Maven event left in him. Um, Tenru was still, <laughs> Tenru was in five star bangers at fifty three. You know, so it's like it's the limitations of Davy Boy as a character wrestler um, are really where this is the issue. Isn't the music's brilliant in one sense, but it, the issue is why do you need it? <laughs> 
Right, right. I mean, the other big issue, of course, which we can't overstate, is that he's in a real bad way, physically speaking. Um, I mean, he still looks jacked to the gills, don't get me wrong, yeah. but, uh, you know, with the back injury, with the painkillers, you know, he is suffering. And they did bring him in to try to be, like, a top guy, but, you know, once you get rock-bottomed into dog poop, that's kind of it for you, really. And he was right down to the mid-card after that, and... um Eventually, he was released in 2000 to go to rehab. But um, but yeah, I know he retired after that. And he was actually gearing up for a comeback in 02. Uh, he wrestled a couple of tag matches with his son, uh, Harry Smith, on some small Canadian indies. But um, he died like literally a week later. So yeah, just a, a real heartbreaking end to a very remarkable career and uh, a very remarkable guy, James. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you... You look about it's a 25 year career, and he starts off in a situation that's awfully familiar for wrestlers for that period. But he he chose to leave and put his put himself into a place that was a complete unknown. All right, Dynamite had gone first, and Marty Jones had spent a bit of time there, and Stephen Wright, so he knew it was a viable. It was a viable proposition of going to stampede and trying to stand out rather than staying in the uk which was low payoff but low risk um but there was already you know four or five guys there who were dominating the junior heavyweight scene where he thought he probably would end up you know you, you think about that period there's mike jones and steve wright who goes off to germany but he spends a lot of time in the uk at the period of time his day finally comes through you've still got the older generation of the royal brothers um and people like um, um, Chip Cullen coming up. So, you know, there's going to be a crowded market where you could be. And this Hart family offered me $400 a week. I don't know how much Canadian dollars is, but that seems like a lot of money. And he took that step. And then there's a roller coaster of a career that he was a big money earner. He was a main event guy, not necessarily consistently, but he was a main event guy for two or three of the biggest wrestling companies on earth. I mean, it doesn't really get much better than that, does it? No, no, of course. I mean, he did have his moments, you know, as as brief as they were at times, he did have his moments in the sun, and that's more than a lot of wrestlers get in their careers, that's for sure. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mat. Thank you so much for listening, and James, thank you so much for being here again. Uh, as always, just a real fun time, a real British time in this case, that's for sure. But uh, again, a real pleasure having you on here. So thank you. I appreciate it. No no problem. I'll come back anytime. I really enjoy doing this show. And uh, I will give you a bit of a plug for somebody else. A gentleman called Stephen Bell, who was on the Troopany show a few months back, has written a book called Dynamite and Davy, which is the history of the Bulldogs. Um, and it's a really good read. And I'd recommend it. You can find him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is Bulldog Books. One, two, three. Okay. And any plugs you want to give for yourself? Go right ahead. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm Sheriff at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. The show is Troopany Show on Twitter or the Troopany Show on Facebook and Patreon, the Troopany Show, where you can support us. Um, new show every Monday, looking at Japanese wrestling, wrestling around the world. We also have Wrestling Rewind, which looks at more mainstream stuff. And we cover every new japan tournament today i've been looking at today at the g1 climax night 19 um and we do regular shows on a regular basis all right and music of the met is of course part of the voices of wrestling podcast network you can find all the great podcasts on there at voicesofwrestling.com. follow the show on twitter at music of the mat follow me on twitter 
at Andrew T. Rich. Voicesofwrestling.com slash Discord for all discussions and comments. Voicesofwrestling.com slash Donate for any donations. Uh, just click the big Donate button beneath the name Music of the Mat. If you donate, hey, thanks so much. You're awesome. And of course, rate, review, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. James, thank you again, and I'll see you around. Thank you very much. All right, for James Truepenny, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Because I'm bizarre! Music of the Mad is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.